everybody. Welcome into another edition of the Just In Time Sports Podcast. I am your host, Justin Jackson. And in today's podcast, we'll be talking about the NBA's plan of return, the newest development in the MLB stalemate with their players union. We will also be discussing the latest in the NFL salary cap slash contract news. And we'll be doing our newest segment that we debuted last week in Best for Last. So I hope you guys sit back and get ready to learn something. Alrighty guys, and we're back. Now, in today's episode, we're going to start off with the NBA's approved plan of return by their ownerships. So the ownership vote for the new plan of return was 29 to 1, the only holdout being the Portland Trailblazers. And it was not that they were not a fan of restarting the season at all. Their players expressed strong interest, but in turn, they listened to their players and voted no due to the fact that they were looking for different plans they were looking for a more common plan, maybe something that worked a little bit better for all the teams in the league and address the draft lottery and things of that nature in terms of seeding for that. But the approved plan of return that passed again with a 29 to 1 vote was that 22 teams would return to in the NBA season. They would go to Orlando, which has been the agreed upon site, and those seems to be the eight teams that were going to be in the playoffs currently for the NBA on either side, adding in five teams that were within six games of making the playoffs that had a reasonable shot. So it gave everybody with a 1% chance of making the playoffs an opportunity to, in fact, make it. The additional five teams that were added, along with the 16 teams that were already in, were from the East, the Washington Wizards, and from the West, the Phoenix Suns, the New Orleans Pelicans, the San Antonio Spurs, the Portland Trail Blazers, and the Sacramento Kings. Now, I think this plan of action was the best plan. So when you dive into this plan, this plan includes a eight game regular season of sorts, and that'll be a way to figure out if they will even need the play in tournament. Now to qualify for the play in tournament, you have to be within four games of the eighth seed. So let's say Washington doesn't make up the gap and they end up five games out. Well, it'll automatically lock in the eighth seed in the East and Washington won't get a chance to play effectively a two out of three to see who gets the eighth seed. Now going to the West. The West may end up with all five teams being within four games of each other for the AC, in which case you'll play a tournament where in the playing tournament is double elimination. So once you lose twice, you're out. And then the winner of that tournament gets the AC for the right to play the Los Angeles Lakers. Now, at this point, there have been no word on reseeding or anything like that. So it'll be one through eight on the East, one through eight on the West, and they'll play a regular playoffs as far as we know. They'll play regular playoffs, in which case they'll end at worst game seven of the NBA Finals being October 12th. Now, what I hoped for was a permanent shift in the NBA schedule, which would mean that they wouldn't start until Christmas or even first of the year. But the plans as the tentative schedule that has been reported by Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN is that the next season will start December 1st. Now, let's say the champion wins in a seven game series. You finish October 12th. You're in training camp a few weeks later, and you're back in the regular season again in the regular season grind December 1st. Now, that'll probably lead to a lot of load management from deep running playoff teams early in the season. Even though they had a three-month break, I just don't see a lot of guys getting reared back up because a lot of guys are going to, if they win the championship, they're going to celebrate for a couple of weeks. They're not even thinking about basketball. 
basketball is going to be the first thing for the mind. They're going to go on vacations and things of that nature. And they have to rear back up again uh, for December 1st tip-off. I think you see a lot of early season low managing just to allow guys to ease back into the schedule, especially in the justice schedule. We don't know if it's going to be a permanent shift. We don't know if it's going to be a condensed schedule. Maybe they decide to play 60 games next year or 55 games next year to get back to a regular NBA schedule. Now, this also put a adverse effect on the NCAA, who came out and decided that you players will get 10 days after the combine or they get until August 3rd, whichever one comes first, to withdraw their name from eligibility in the draft. Now, players that may not have decided their minds could use all the way up until those days to decide whether they will pull out the draft. Although I think guys should know by now. You should have been talking to enough scouts. Your agent should have been talking out to enough teams. Even though they've been going through this pandemic, guys call and text and find that information even without the combine and things of that nature whether guys should go to the draft this year in order to maximize their earning potential and their ability to succeed in college basketball if they decide to go back or to succeed in the NBA if they decide to go pro. Now, reverting back to the NBA's plan of attack, the games they will be played will be like summer league style. They'll play games all day, considering that there is no fans in attendance and that there is a thirst for live sports. Games will be played all day like summer league style. Games could overlap. There's no you know, promise of the Raptors versus the Magic, for instance, have to wait on the Lakers to play the Bucks in a regular season or have to wait on the Clippers to play the Grizzlies. Games do not have to be waited on. So it'll be a situation where, you know, the fourth quarter of one game might be going on when the start of another game is happening on a different court. Considering they're playing at the Worldwide of Sports at ESPN's Complex at Disney, then you can play multiple games at one time, especially with no fans. You don't have to go about shuffling guys in and out in that sort of situation. So that'll be a very interesting system in terms of TV viewing. Do all games come on ESPN or does the East go to TNT and the West starts on ESPN regardless? how the regular season games go in terms of TV rights. Uh, local TV still wants those games. Uh, the CBA is built for 70 games. That's the agreement they made with a lot of the local television stations. So I'd be very interested to see how they work that out. You know, will the New Orleans games still come on Fox Sports New Orleans? You know, will the Lakers still be shown on Spectrum out in LA? So it'll be interesting to see that. But all in all, basketball will be back. The tentative start playing is July 31st. The owners have already approved it. And the players have a vote coming Friday, July 5th, which is when this podcast actually debuts. The players will be voting on that to see if they pass the plan. The expectation is for it to pass. This is the best plan. It gives everybody a chance with a chance. They had a chance at the playoffs. They get a chance to get in. You know, if you go 7-1 and one, or in these last few games, if you're a Washington team and you get a good scheduling break and you go 7-1, and one, you have a chance to then fight for the eighth seed to get a chance at making the playoffs. If you're Portland, if you're New Orleans, San Antonio, Phoenix, or Sacramento, you may have been looking at, man, you know, we have to go 11 and five, or we have to go 12 and four over the last 16 games for us to even have a shot. And that's hoping that Grizzlies, who had an injury with Jaron Jackson, the Grizzlies fall back and fall so we can catch them. Now you just have to get close enough to them to then play, basically play them for the eighth spot for the right to make the playoffs. 
I think this is a great idea. And so the TV rights. Think about all the stars that the NBA added to the entry. They added Zion Williamson. They added Devin Booker, who a lot of fans do not get to see because Phoenix isn't very good. So they don't get a lot of national TV games. They kept the interest in John Morant. You get Luka Doncic on the national stage with a healthy Porzingis. You get a Clippers team now that's finally healthy and we're ready to roll. You get Bradley Bill, who again, a lot of fans don't get to see because Washington isn't very good and don't get those national TV games. You get De'Aaron Fox, who can be a budding star. You get so many talented players, the Spurs. The Spurs have a couple of good players in DeMar DeRozan and LaMarcus Aldridge and DeJounte Murray, who a lot of fans don't know. You get a chance to see those guys at least eight games. And if they remain close, you get them in a play-in tournament. So that's Alice, a lot of injury. It still gives the first seed their advantage. So I know the NBA was trying to figure out different plans to give the first seeds their home court advantage in terms of would they give, you know, the home court team an extra timeout or would they give them extra coaches challenge or would they automatically give them ball first to start the second, third and fourth quarters. Um, There's been some outlandish things that have been tossed around, like would they fly in courts for everybody? So people Fans, even players can mentally, you know, know, okay, it's game three. I'm not, I'm looking at the Clippers floor. So it must be games one and two or fans are looking at, oh man, it's a quote unquote Laker home game because I'm not looking at just a basic Disney floor. It's a basic hardwood floor. I'm looking at the Lakers court. I'm looking at the Staples Center floor or I'm looking at, you know, the New Orleans floor. If it's game three and four, if New Orleans were to get the AC, but this was a great plan by the NBA. It was concise. I like that Adam Silver, you know, used some of his leverage with the NBA PA. There was an article by Brian Windhorst that said that Adam Silver spent the last six years trying to get a relationship with Chris Paul. We're having a relationship with LeBron, who he has listened to a lot by extending All-Star break to a week. And Chris Paul with the Elam ending for the All-Star game that everybody loved. It will probably be a permanent thing to keep the All-Star game competitive. And he built that relationship up to now have this plan. You know, he was able to take some teams out. You look at Golden State won't be invited and the bottom of the East won't be invited because those guys wouldn't have affected the postseason anyway besides seeding. But now, speaking of seeding, you have a situation where the Rockets can go from six to four because four, five, and six are within a game of each other. Having eight regular season games, the Rockets can go from six to four and change their playoffs perspectives all the way entirely. Instead of having a battle of three seed in the first round to even make it to the next round, they can end up the four seed and play in the five. So, or they can end up the five seed and play in the four. They can avoid the three seed altogether. So, I think that this was a great plan. I'm glad the ownership groups approved it. I'm glad that Portland disproved it or didn't approve it for the right reasons. They listened to their players. McCollum confirmed that. CJ McCollum confirmed that they denied it because of their players. And so if you have ownership groups listen to their players about the risk and the restarting process that they are going through, it's a great plan all the way around. I'm proud of Adam Silver for working with the MBPA, which is a player association, before even going to the owners with the plan. I think that showed that he wanted to make sure that if the owners approved it, it wouldn't be a situation where the players all of a sudden rejected it. And now we're pushing the start season even back. We're pushing everything even further back, getting a further conflict with the NFL, which is going to be a ratings nightmare, especially when it's not the NBA Finals, because the NFL will own Sunday. College football will own Saturday, starting in early September. So it'll be a struggle on the weekend days to get high ratings for the NBA. 
But if they play a bunch of their games during the week, I feel like that's a situation that they could try to mitigate, try not to have such a strong impact on the ratings itself. But all in all, I love this plan. It gives as many teams a shot as possible. It gives as many young stars and maybe older stars that we don't see as much a chance to be on TV. I think that's great for everybody. I think that elevates the game in and of itself. I think that elevates those guys' brands, those teams' brands. And if things don't work out, things don't work out for your team. This gives maximum opportunity to see the right champion ground. It does not punish the Bucks or the Lakers who tried their hardest this regular season to get those number one seeds because they still end up playing the eight seed. It could be a hot team that comes from nowhere, like Phoenix goes on this magical run where they win seven of their eight games, get into the playing tournament, and win the playing tournament, and now they're playing the Lakers in round one, which knocks John Morant and the Grizzlies out. But you know, it, it doesn't have the Lakers or the Bucks playing, you know, some hot team in the group stage and possibly not even making out of the group stage when they earn the right to play the weaker road, considering that they dominated in the regular season, taking the West's first seed. But this is a great plan. I cannot wait until July 31st where the NBA returns. So we're looking at the NBA, Disney World, a champion being crowned no later than October 12th, and a new season starting December 1st. This can't get much better, and I thank the NBA for this great plan. And up next, we'll go into the MLB and their stalemate to restart their season. Alrighty, guys, and we're back. Now we're going to transition into talking about the MLB's plan of return or lack thereof. So Major League Baseball, to give a little context, Major League Baseball has by far the strongest player union of any of the major sports due to the fact that their players have the longest contracts. I mean, we see 10, 12-year contracts, 7, 8-year contracts are common. They have the longest contracts, and in those contracts, they traditionally make the most money at the top. Now at the bottom, you know, those guys are probably making 450 a week in single-A ball. That's not a ton of money. Not a lot of money at all. But at the top, you have Mike Trout making over $400 million. Giancarlo Stanton and other big-time players are making $300 million. Aaron Judge is going to sign a $300 million deal whenever his free agency comes up after he gets through arbitration with the Yankees. So if these situations like that, the Major League Baseball has the strongest players union. And so in this, they are fighting the owners, which, in my opinion, are the staunchest of owners. So you got the staunch ownership group in Major League Baseball, and you have the strongest player union is bound to have conflict. So to give a little recap of the situation, uh, Major League Baseball has not started their season. And also, Major League Baseball has a time problem. The players nor the owners want to push into the winter. You know, imagine playing a World Series in the dead of winter of Pittsburgh, for instance, or in the dead of winter of New York with the Yankees. Also, they don't want to conflict too strongly with now the finish of the NBA season, and you've got football at that point dominating during playoff time. So you don't want to fight that for ratings, especially with baseball already having a rating issue. And with no fans in the stands, ratings will be key to financing and getting revenue. So the owners originally had proposed an 82-game schedule where players would see a significant reduction in their salaries, especially at the top. So if you sign for $30 million in one season, they were looking to pay $8 million which would not even be a correct proration of the salary, considering 82 is 
a little over half, like one game over half of a season, players were going to accept or willing to accept that if you offered them $15 million instead of 30, that's the correct proration because their amount per game would be the same. So I play half the season, I get half my salary. That was an agreement where the MLB was looking at accepting. The Players Association would have been fine with that because it would have been a correct proration of their salaries. However, with the drastic reduction at the top, because ownership was looking to make the most amount of money possible, the players rejected it. They, in turn, they respond and they offer up a plan of 110 games, 112 games. And so they were looking at doing it that way with the correct proration. So they would get about 65 to 70% of the salary that they earned. They broke down the salary in terms of a per check, a per game basis. So if you sign for $30 million, divide that over 162 games, take that dollar amount, multiply it by 112, and that's the dollar amount they were looking to pinpoint, where they would get their same amount of game checks for the same amount. You wouldn't, you know, obviously they weren't pushing for their full salaries for the shortened season. They were just pushing for a correct proration of those salaries so that everyone could get equal value. Now, as of a couple days ago, the owners have rejected this offer and rejected with no plans of counter offering. So in a situation like that, we've seen that before. We've seen that with the NFL ownership. They offered one collective bargaining agreement and they said, we're not going to renegotiate. Ultimately, the players gave. So it'll be interesting to see if the Major League Baseball caves with having the Strongings Union. And as of right now, it is 8.49 p.m., and Major League Baseball has rejected the league's plan. Um, the union boss said that the players resoundingly rejected this plan, which I was literally about to say I expect them to reject. There was no way that they were going to accept any deal where the MLB does not give them a correct proration of their money. They have accepted the fact that they will not play a full season. They have accepted the fact that they will not get their full salaries. But to ask them to take half of the half that they were expecting, or if you play half the season, you get a fourth of your money, then that's just not something that the players' union will accept, especially with the power players of Mike Trout and Bryce Harper and Giancarlo Stanton and guys like Aaron Judge who have a lot of influence in the game. Those guys were not going to accept a fourth of their salaries when they were expecting 30 million, some even 40 million, another down to 10 million, 9 million, for instance. Those guys weren't going to do that. I'm proud of the Major League Players Association for standing their ground. The owners, like I said last week, might have to take a hit on this one. If you want baseball, they might have to take a financial hit and hemorrhage little money and then make it back next year in revenue. Major League Baseball makes $11 billion just last season. Easily, they should have enough money from past revenues to sustain a season where they might lose a few hundred thousand dollars a game. Now, that sounds like a lot of money, but if you're per team making 40 or 50 million dollars, then you may have to hemorrhage money for a year, but then you make it all back next year. You upgrade TV packages, you lower the price point for fans so they come more. You do several different things to make money. I mean, ownership has even decided to slash the $450 a week for minor league players and their stipends. Several teams have decided to cut those out. $450 a week for about 12 guys does not make or break financial decisions. But that is the length that the owners are willing to go to delay that. Now, I don't think that's right by any means. I think that the Play Association should fight that. But it's the so that situation where it's a smoke and mirror tactic. 
where if we distract you with the minor league guy that's not getting his correct salary, maybe you allow us to drastically reduce a major player salary, which is just not going to happen. So I'm proud of the Player Association. Baseball season might be in trouble. I always had faith that the NBA would come back. I've had no doubt in my mind that the NFL would come back. I mean, that's not even a question in my mind. But baseball could be in trouble. They're fighting each other. They're airing all their dirty laundry. If we get baseball, it may be a 70-game season. And then right into the playoffs, I mean, it will be a completely different baseball season, especially with their unwillingness to flex on their schedule even for a year. So I'll be watching that situation closely. I'll keep you guys updated on my Twitter as much as I can. And with that, we'll be transitioning to the NFL. Talking about a little NFL contract news and some reports that have been coming out over the past few days. All right, guys, and we're back. And like I said before the break, we're going to transition into the NFL and talk about just a few stories coming out of the NFL. So right now there was an article coming out saying that the NFL could see a reduction in the salary cap, a massive reduction in the salary cap, up to $80 million, as the report mentioned, because of the lack of fans in the stadiums. If coronavirus were to prevent all fans from being in stadiums. Now, the Dolphins owner has created multiple plans to allowing fans into Hard Rock Stadium at 25% capacity. We have the governor of Texas allowing outside arenas to have 25% capacity themselves, which we could see up to 50% within the next few weeks. We have several different teams creating plans. We have the University of Texas saying that he's planning for a 100% field capacity in DKR Memorial Stadium for when Texas opens their season. So we have several different teams making several different plans, and that's a very encouraging sign into having fans in attendance for the NFL. But let's just say that the NFL does not get fans in the stadium at all this season. Then we're looking at a possible $80 million cap decrease instead of the traditional cap increase of 10% give or take every season. So what does that mean for guys who are in the current process of negotiating contracts like Dak Prescott, Patrick Mahomes, and Deshaun Watson? So in last week's podcast, I mentioned that Patrick Mahomes' unorthodox deal that the Chiefs have said that they're going to work with him could be a percentage of the cap deal, where regardless what the cap is, Patrick Mahomes gets, let's say, 20%, or he gets 17.5% of the salary cap. So if he signs that deal and the salary cap falls by $80 million, where Patrick Mahomes' salary, in turn, falls 30 to 40% because it's not going on an increase at all. It's actually reducing by a massive amount. Now, that would help the Chiefs in terms of, okay, well, we know Pat's contract is about to go way down in terms of value for this season, and we can work around that because now we have our starting quarterback on a very, very, very reasonable deal even with a reduced cap. Now he'll still take 17% of that cap, but it'll be reduced in terms of, it won't be $45 million against a cap that's lost $50 million out of it. So that'll be a situation that'll help the Chiefs, but also when it booms back, because once fans come back, the TV revenue is gonna go up, the new CA is gonna come up, it'll boom all the way back up, and now Patrick Mahomes may go from making $13 million to making $50 million, because the cap booms all the way up from 150 to 250 million dollars 
And now Patrick Mahomes in turn swings all the way back up to where he should be at the top of the quarterback market in terms of salary. So you have Patrick Mahomes who's negotiating a landmark deal. Now transition to a guy like Deshaun Watson, where they're talking about 40 to $42 million a year. Well, if the cap bottoms out, the Texans already have struggles at running back. They don't have a true number one receiver after trading DeAndre Hopkins to the Cardinals for a bag of chips and a pocket of lint, also known as David Johnson, and a draft pick that was not a first rounder. It was a second rounder, but that's a discussion for a different day. So when you have a situation where the Houston Texans need offensive line help, they're going to need a replacement for J.J. Watt soon. He's getting up there in age, and his body's already suffered a few injuries. You've got a Texans team that doesn't have Jadavion Clowney anymore. They need defensive back help even after trying out Garyon Conley and it not working. And they have Deshaun Watson on an already reduced cap, making 40 to $42 million where now their ability to even sign draft picks becomes in a monstrous hindrance because you don't know. Okay, the cap bottoms out. Transition to a different team. Lamar Jackson, a league MVP already, is going to negotiate a contract. It has to be more than Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson has a playoff win, and that's it. Lamar Jackson doesn't have the playoff win, but he has the regular season MVP and is by far the most electric quarterback in the NFL today, and it's not even close. So possessing a league MVP, redefining how people play football, how people play defense against those Ravens, he's going to be looking for a deal past Deshaun Watson, as well he should. Deshaun Watson doesn't have the resume in the regular season that Lamar has, and Deshaun Watson does have the playoff victory, but we believe that Lamar Jackson is more important to his team than Deshaun Watson, and so Lamar signing later and having the regular season MVP as a kicker will probably sign for $43, $44 million a year. Probably go a penny or two more in terms of guaranteed money. And that'll be a situation where, okay, next year he's playing on his rookie deal. So if the cap bottoms out two years from now, which is the possible expectation, then he's playing on his fifth year option, which will have to be picked up. And then he'll be renegotiating his contract for five years, similar to what Patrick Mahomes is doing now. And that'll be a situation where you hope as a team, the cap bounces back. Because if it doesn't, now you have a guy with a firm number that you're responsible for because you've guaranteed X amount of millions of dollars in the contract. And now you're struggling to put another receiver on the outside, maybe replace an old offensive lineman. Mark Ingram would have two more years of carries on his body. Now he may not be as useful, even though you did replace him with J.K. Dobbins in the draft. And you've got teams that could be in trouble. So I say all that to revert back to Dak Prescott and the Dallas Cowboys. It may be smarter for Dak Prescott to play on the franchise tag this season. I have been against that from the jump, but if the salary cap is really in a possibility of bottoming out, Todd Franz of CAA, one of the best agents in the world in terms of football agents, may catch wind from somebody that the cap is going to bottom out. So it'd be better to accept the franchise tag this year and either force Dallas to do it again next year, which considering the titles will be locked in for the previous season, will be $37 million because that cap number would be based off of this tag. So this tag, and then there's an increase automatically to next tag of 36-ish, $37 million, which average out to 35. If you were to sign a long-term contract and then the cap bottoms out, who knows what could happen in terms of guaranteed money and things of that nature. So in order to ensure his maximum amount of financial gain, 
Aisha Pulakar Cousins, which is play on the franchise tag two years in a row, and then go to the open market and see what Dallas or another team would offer you. Let's say Tua doesn't work out in Miami for his body, and they have a good team. Maybe Miami makes a big offer, and he goes to Miami. But he should, in my opinion, play on the franchise tag for two seasons, at least the one, to see what the cap's going to do. And if he has a great season, he looks at Jerry and goes, give me my money. If he has a great season and the cap bottoms out, he just re-signs the tag again. And if not, he walks in free agency and sees what's out there for him on the open market, which I think would be a very fruitful market. But the NFL salary cap, it could be a big drop-off. We don't know what that'll mean for Lamar, Patrick, Deshaun, and Dak, amongst other quarterbacks and talented players that will be coming up behind them. That'll be a story that we'll all be watching, I'll be paying attention to. Again, we won't see this effect until middle of the season. You know, that's when the rumors start coming out that the cap, when more smart guys who have inside track to the NFL, will be talking about, okay, the cap's going to fall $45 million due to this revenue stream and that revenue stream. But I expect us to have fans in the stands, so I think this will be a moot story. But it's something that is well worth keeping in the back of your minds if there's no fans in the stands. But up next, we will be transitioning to my new segment, Best for Last. We debuted it last week. And it's a segment where we may not talk about something directly connected to sports even, or maybe even talking about something that's not necessarily in the show or in the theme of the show. So we'll be transitioning to Best for Last next, and we'll be right back after this short break. Alrighty guys, and we're back for our best for last segment. In this segment, we're going to take a shift from the sports world. Um, Obviously, there's been a lot going on in the country, and I would feel remiss if I didn't speak on it at least for a second or two. Um, Obviously, just like most of the country, I am beyond outraged at what happened to George Floyd. But that's not the first thing that black people in this country have been dealing with this issue. And I just want to take a minute to thank some of our leaders and some people who have spoken up and been outspoken. And we've seen at rallies from LeBron James being very vocal on Twitter to Trey Young, who's been in the rallies, to Stephen Aisha Curry. We've seen to Carl Anthony Towns. We've seen uh, Stephen Jackson honestly has been the Kickstarter and the focal point and the flashpoint in all of this. And I just want to thank him everything he's done Uh, i just want to thank different guys putting on messages just a few minutes ago we got a message from saquon barkley with some of the prominent black players in the nfl from michael thomas to saquon to ezekiel elliott to chase young to anybody else i may have missed i'm sorry for not name dropping you guys here but i just want to thank those guys for putting out those messages just for trying to hold the nfl itself accountable we have the NFL putting out the standard message, which I did appreciate of their standing with us in terms of Black Lives Matter and things of that nature. But at the same time, it's the same league that kept Colin Kaepernick out. And I applaud those guys for standing up and putting that message together and putting that video together. That was well thought out. It was beautifully done. I like that it wasn't released to a ton of fanfare. It was just put out on Twitter and let the world decide. And so I just want to thank those guys. We have a long way to go. I hope that this continues and that justice is served and we have great leaders for the next generation. I love the protests. The protests have been great. The peaceful protests have been 
amazing to see as a country and as a world. We've had protests in London. We've had protests in Paris. We've had protests all over this country to look at the injustices of our country and America's original sin. So again, I just want to thank everybody for using their platform, using their voice, using their financial ability to try and help this issue and to solve this issue in this country. And from the bottom of my heart, it is a very sincere thank you to everyone that's been involved. If I left some people out, I apologize. Um, I don't want to do that at all. But I mean, I can't name everybody kind of thing. So I just want to thank everybody for their involvement. And with that, we will be concluding this episode of the Just In Time Sports Podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed. I hope you guys learned something. Uh, follow the Twitter page at JTime Sports, all caps, for breaking news and updates throughout the day, throughout the week. I'm constantly on Twitter. I'm constantly trying to find out different information for you guys and put it on there as a one-stop shop. So maybe you guys follow, you know, Wolves or Shams or Ian Rappaport or Adam Schefter. But I follow all those guys, and I'm constantly looking for articles for little tidbits of information throughout the sports world. I mean, we're talking baseball, basketball, football, college and pro. So I'm always looking to try and find information and give you guys sort of a one-stop shop to get everything. And I thank you guys for the support. Uh, please tell your friends if you like what you hear and drop a comment. I'm always open to topic suggestions. Um, and I thank you guys for listening. You guys have a great day.